doesn't like the smell and feel of leather? Looking to fulfill your custom leather needs? Well, as we say here in Jersey, I got a guy. Rob over at Ridgeway Leather Works is literally that guy. Several years back, I happened to be sat next to him at a mutual friend's wedding, and this dude told me more about leather than I ever thought I needed to know. His passion for his business is evident in the quality of his work. His team and his family can make all their gear. So whether you're looking for a radio strap, a radio holster, a pair of suspenders, a chin strap, a locker tag, or really anything leather-related, Ridgeway's the place to go. So check them out at RidgewayLeatherworks.com or on IG at Ridgeway Leatherworks. And tell them Pip from the Size Up sent you, and maybe you'll get a special jersey treat in your package. What's up, everybody? It's your old pal Pip here with the Size Up by National Fire Radio, episode 40. It's kind of crazy to say that. Like, I know we started out a long time ago and did a couple episodes, 12 or so, and I came back with, with 12 or 13, wherever we were. But it's been unreal to for this year to now be at 40. And I know that number is is not this humongous number, but to me it is because that's been a whole lot of Tuesdays that... I've been recording for and you guys have been tuning in to listen. So I think it's uh, it's kind of a big milestone. I think 50 is going to be a big milestone. I have to get somebody special for 50, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. I already had Tracy. So maybe I'll put the boys on 50 or maybe I'll do my dad. Maybe Big Russ. I can go over or get Big Russ here in the house and we can just rock out and talk for an hour. That, that'll be an interesting podcast for everyone to listen to. But anyway, enough about me and the podcast, because this week I have a, a very special guest who describes himself as an introvert and is going to challenge my hosting skills to keep him talking for the whole episode. But as uh, we do these days, it's someone else who I met on social media um, through his company and kind of, I guess, our mutual love for punk rock music is what started us up talking because he has a lot of great punk rock designs. Um, and then I learned so much more about him. And I was like, bro, you, you got to come on the show, man. You, you got a great story and I'd love to help you tell it. And then some other things happened because we've been probably planning this for about three months now. But I'd like to welcome Jake from District Fire Company. What's up, buddy? How are you? Hey, I'm happy to be here. Uh, <laughs> good luck on getting me talk for the next hour. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna try, man. It's funny, too, because if you're if you're watching on YouTube, you know, Jake, with a lot of like uh, social media companies, you know, you have ones that it's all about a person, right? Like if you take a, an apparel company, like, um, oh my God, now it's Rob Bailey's apparel company. Why can't I think of the name of it? Rob and Dana Lynn Bailey run it. Um, oh my gosh, I have so much of their stuff. Anyway, they're kind of like forward facing, right? And for District Fire, you're not necessarily forward facing, right? No, I, I try to make it about the art. And the art is so cool because you have so many of those designs. And so I was totally into all your punk rock designs and, and just the different kind of cutting edge stuff you were putting out there. And then all of a sudden you had a little issue with the company and, and you appeared in a video and I'm like, you're not a firefighter or you have a really laxed beard policy in your department. Yeah. So I'm retired. I was a firefighter for 20 years in the Air Force. So I was an active duty firefighter and I retired in 2020. And my singular goal in retirement was growing a beard. That's, that's all I wanted to do. So, so I was, I was a little 
embarrassed when it came in so white, but you know what? I got my beard. It's what I wanted. It's staying. I like the white. It's it's a hundred percent distinguished. Yeah. You know, I was thinking like, oh, it's gray. I'm like, no, no, that's not gray. It's it's full on white. I just skipped the gray. <laughs> you just went went straight George Washington to the white instead of the yeah. But you know, I think it's funny when you say that too, like you're full on goal because one hundred percent what I dislike about my job is the fact that every three days I have to shave the majority of my face. I would probably have a full on beard just because I didn't want to shave. Yeah. Well, you know, the military's been floating the past couple of years about uh allowing beards. I don't know where they're at on it, but just because the recruitment numbers are so down and beards are so popular right now, there's been a lot of talk about allowing beards in the military. But of course, being a firefighter, we still wouldn't be allowed if that was approved, you know? Yeah, it's it's pretty much a no-go. I know there's some some different places with different views and different things, but for the most part, that, that mask seal is just something that you don't get the beard. I have yep. seen, though, here in Jersey, a lot of police departments have totally have a, don't have a facial hair policy anymore is the easiest way to put it. And I think because, too, with that, with, like, no shave November, like a lot of that mm -hmm. was really big, like five years. I mean, it's still big now, but like five years ago, cops did it. And I think it was like, well, you're still just as good of a cop with a beard or with not. So I guess you can keep it is, is my yeah. guess. at least. But, well, you know, from what I've been told, everybody loved it. The morale was higher. And yeah, a lot of departments decided to keep it because their firefighters like or their <laughs> police officers like this so much. It'd be, it's interesting too what you say about the military, like with recruitment numbers down, because I know that that's, I just I have a couple of a few ex military guys that I work with, we were just talking about it the other night, they were talking about, you know, how the numbers are so down. But there had been time of war, and you know, you never know when that's going to happen. But in peacetimes, they say the recruitment right. numbers always go back up. So th there's always that possibility, I guess, too. Well, you know, they got rid of that golden ticket in, in 2012. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to have joined early enough to get my 20-year pension. But I'm not sure if you're aware, but the military no longer gives you your pension as soon as you retire. So if you join today, you're not going to get that military pension until you hit re retirement age 65 or 67 or whatever it is. So fortunately for me, I was able to draw a pension as soon as I retired. But now that that's gone, that's got to be affecting the recruitment numbers. For sure. I mean, it's the same as with, with the fire service and, and police departments when they're changing retirement plans and things. You know, you 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 take these dangerous jobs or you join the military because you have some type of a light at the end of the tunnel and a larger promise for what you're risking and that reward. And when they take those away, people aren't going to want to do it anymore. But I did not know yeah. that about the military in, in 2012 making that change. So when you were yeah. in then, did you start to see a change in, I guess I want to say like in the recruits, but in the people who didn't have that, knew that that was taken away from them, as opposed to the guys from when maybe you first started, you know, before that? I mean, nothing really stands out as far as a change. Uh, the The firefighting career field in the military is pretty you know if you're not meant to be there they wash you out pretty quick i mean you can make it to your first base and uh 
you know, if you're not pulling your weight, those guys usually find their way to the door, whether that's just making their four years and being so miserable that they separate, or we find, you know, an administrative process to implement, to remove them. You know, some guys will offer another opportunity. Hey, you know, you're probably good for the military, but you're not good for this job. So why don't you go try to do this? But a lot of guys will, will just separate under, uh, other circumstances yeah see again these are things that not being in the military don't really know about you know like even what makes you want to be a military firefighter i guess you know or what made you want to be going to the fire service end of the military so that's actually a pretty interesting story um i'm the first person in my family to even graduate high school and, and i got a academic scholarship to a pretty decent school. Uh, So I went to college for one year and I was not mature enough. I was completely irresponsible. So I kind of, I got kicked out of college. No one is. But um, it was the last couple months of the year. um, Well, it would have been January. And I already knew I wasn't coming back. I mean, they hadn't, I was able to finish the year, but I already knew I didn't have the grades to come back. I was driving up to visit a friend and I drove by a fire in Massachusetts. Now this was 2019, I mean, 1999, geez. And uh, you may know what fire I'm talking about. You know, the next day it was on national news. Clinton was going to visit the site. Yeah, the Worcester fire. So I saw that in person. I I drove right by it, uh, going up to visit a friend in Worcester and just seeing all the coverage and, you know, uh, learning about the sacrifice. So I jumped on Google. I was like, how do I be a firefighter? Because I knew I wasn't going back to college. And the first thing that came up was a military recruitment ad. So (laughs) you were like the original search engine. Search yeah, engine so optimization. I, I it was like the government was the only yeah. people that could do it in 99, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the Air Force ad came up. I called a recruiter and I said, I want to come in, but only if I can be a firefighter. And, you know, this was pre-war. So, you know, the recruits had a little bit more say uh, because probably recruiting numbers weren't as up. And so I got firefighter written into my contract before I joined which delayed me from leaving for a little while. So I had another couple months at home after college um, to wait for an academy spot, a fire academy spot to open up. But yeah, that's how it happened. I saw that Worcester fire the next day I was on, I was trying to be enlisting into the military. Yeah. You know, that's one of those fires that if you're, you're old enough and you're involved in the fire service, like I was in, I was in Vegas when that occurred. Um, on a trip with one of my buddies, you know, it was, uh, I was working EMS. I think I was a volley firefighter. I was just thinking about starting to be a volley firefighter. Um, but it's just one of those fires that, and, and the lessons learned from that fire are still so hard to, I don't yeah. want to grasp, but you know, you're not going to go in there and then you're not going to go in to get your guys. And, you know, the, the chiefs that were there that teach classes on it, I took one years ago. Um, and it's just one of these amazing lessons that you always have to keep in the back of your mind of just how much sacrifice and risk versus reward benefits. Yeah. Of course, at the time, I didn't 
understand the significance yeah. of any of that. I just saw the national attention and, you know, the respect and honor given towards the fallen firefighters it felt like they did something that meant something. You yeah. know what I mean? And I was like, I need to do that. So are you originally from the East coast? I grew up in Rhode Island. Oh, okay. Okay. So you're up that way. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. I, I uh, was born upstate New York, moved to Rhode Island very young. If you're familiar with Newport, Rhode Island, most people yep. know it from family guy. That's where the pewter Schmitz live. <laughs> So I grew up right outside Newport, Rhode Island. I lived there. Uh, I went to Bryant College, which is also in Rhode Island, and enlisted in 1999. Trying to remember what century I'm in, and uh, I haven't been back. That was it, huh? Packed it in, and, and yep. well, there's no. There, I guess there's not a lot of Air Force bases up that way. No, there's nothing up there, but uh, you know. I didn't want to go back because I was trying to leave something behind. You know, like I said, I, uh, I was the first person in my family to graduate. I got kicked out of college and those were all, um, you know, indicators of the background I had growing up. You know what I mean? So I really didn't want to go back. So where did the air force take you? Cause I know we talked about, and you had said like all around the world, but pretty much like where, where's the coolest place you've been? I guess we don't have to hear them all, but coolest place. So, um, I got to live in the Azores for oh, two years. Wow. Have you ever heard of the Azores? I have, I have. It's on my yeah. list of places. And so I'm, I'm Portuguese. I'm part Portuguese and my family immigrated from the Azores. So that was a really cool experience. You know, my last name is Sylvia and my entire life, people have called me Silva, Silva, because it's such a more common last name when i got stationed at the azores i was like great people are not going to mess up my name for two years i get over there and they're like sylvia we don't have any sylvias so it must have been a change that happened upon immigration but yeah there's no sylvias over there either you know what i mean double so, screwed you're like so disappointing <laughs> yeah the azores uh, i lived in the azores for two years i um lived in the uk for four years that was amazing and then I've done so many training things. I've been to Greece. I've been to Germany so many times. I did all my rescue technician certifications in Germany. And then, of course, I've been to about every country in the Middle East you can think of. I was going to say, so when, when all that was popping off, years. all that was popping off for you over there. Yeah. Pretty much everywhere you needed to be. Yeah. And, and all that was firefighting, but was that more aircraft firefighting or... Yeah, so your primary mission is the airport, but we're all, I mean, we do structural firefighting, we do uh, medical responses. Um, the Air Force is now giving firefighters EMT, but EMR was the standard while I was in. I was able to get EMT and hold on to it for a couple of years. Every time I got it, I got sent overseas, so I would lose it. You know, I lost it while I was in the Azores, came back, got it. Went to England, lost it again, and I came back. It's like, I'm not doing this again. I don't need it. It's not the, uh, you know, all I needed was the EMR. So my last couple of years, I stayed at the EMR level. Yeah, it's again, it's one of those like weird ass military things where it's like yeah. a combat medic doing all these crazy things in the field. And then you come back here 
And they're like, yeah, no, you got to go to medic school. Like none of that counts for what we do here in an ambulance type thing. Yeah. So we went through that combat, you know, medical training, the triple TR or something. I can't remember what they call it, but, you know, doing the IVs, doing that kind of stuff. But we could only use that while we were deployed. Yeah. You know, when we were stateside or wherever our home station was, we reverted back to EMR. And oddly enough, it, it came down to a money thing. So the entire time I was in, the fire department wanted to carry that EMT, but they wanted the clinic group on base, basically the base hospital, to pay for everything. Oh, they were and definitely so, not doing that. So, so they wouldn't do that. And, you know, big Air Force fire said, well, we're not paying for it. You know, and so there was that struggle between those two entities basically the entire time I was in. And as I was getting to retire, uh, they were starting to, okay, we're going to go to EMT for our minimum standard. Yeah, I know it's definitely a little different now with the standards because I know people, combat medics and things are coming back and they don't have to do the whole medic program. Maybe it just, it just all depends on kind of like, I guess your MOS and, and what you did and what training you got. Um, yeah. like I know that, uh, the, and, and for the air force, like PJs, uh, when they go through their like crazy one month paramedic class, that took me two years, takes them two months. Um, they actually for a long time and they still may be now they come to Camden, New Jersey, to do their ride-alongs because the trauma in Camden, especially 10 years ago when they were doing that for sure was just so high. They were able to get so much experience in a short amount of time. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. There, there was some time. I, I don't know if they're still doing it, but, and I know they put them through like in that pipeline, like that two year medic program is condensed to like two or three months. And it's like, I mean, yeah. it's, I became a medic. It was not the easiest class I've ever taken in my life. And to see guys do that in three months is crazy. So just let me be clear. You you keep saying combat medic. What I was talking about, what the training I was given, it was not that. We okay. got the training, like, keep somebody alive in a firefight. You know, basically every military person that gets sent down range gets this training where you can use an IV and stuff like that. We were, we were not operating like the PJs at all. Oh no, no, that, yeah, that one's a big, big different one there, but yeah, yeah. It, it, again, it gets a little weird because it, like they're teaching anyone that's going down range to start an IV. I mm. had to stick in paramedic school for national registry. I don't even know, like a hundred people you had to sticker. I don't whatever the number was 80 people. Like I'm just, you're walking around an ER with a little cart. And you're just the IV guy for the day. Like everyone who came in just so you can get your IVs done. They're like, oh no, the military, we'll, we'll teach you this in a weekend. You'll be fine. Yeah. You, you, you stick your buddy, you pair up, you and your buddy stick each other and you get signed off. <laughs> you're good to go, man. That guy's got a vein. You got a vein. You didn't do anything bad. We're fine. <laughs> but it's always interesting when you hear like a, a military story, but you know, before we kind of talk about when you got out of the military though, what about like the art end of it? Have you always been into art and, and things like that or? No, and it's probably going to be a good transition because I started art at the very end of my career. I had never driven it, driven, drew, what's the password for, past tense word for draw? <laughs> well, it's and drew. Yeah, I never drew anything until 2020 really outside of grade school yeah it was just not even on my radar 
But my last job in the Air Force, I was sent to a staff role. So from 2018 to 2020, I was sent to Colorado Springs Air Force Space Command headquarters to stand up what eventually became the emergency services branch of the Space Force Inspector General. Right. That's a yeah. Lot so going it, on right it was there. a really cool job. I got to go s- sit in EOCs at Cape Canaveral during launches to inspect them. You know what I mean? So yeah. I was like right there when the rockets were taken off. I got to do a lot of different cool things in that job. But um, it was in that staff role that I started to experience the intrusive thoughts. So, you know, 18 years on the floor, five of it downrange. I was, to my knowledge, never bothered by anything. And I got to that staff role no longer in that I'm about to respond or I could respond at any time mindset that things started to happen and I started struggling a lot. And because I was active duty, help is readily available. You are encouraged to seek out help in the military, despite what you hear, there's no adverse effects. Um, Maybe if, if you have a top secret clearance, it could come into play, but the general military population, they're encouraged to get help. So I did get help. And my therapist basically said, Hey, man, you need a hobby, you need to, you need something to take your mind off of these intrusive thoughts. So I went out and bought an iPad. And on a whim, no expectations, like, "Eh, maybe I'll just mess around this iPad. And about that time, COVID started. And because I was in a staff role, I was sent home to telework and I don't do idle well. And despite what your job is, if you're at home, you're not doing it eight hours a day. And so I just started sketching on my iPad and just sending these little pieces of artwork out to friends. And a lot of the feedback I got back right off the bat. I mean, I've been drawing a couple of weeks, like, man, put this on a shirt. I would totally rock this on a shirt. I heard it enough times. I said, eh, let me see what I can do. And I launched DFC. Dude, that, that is, it's such a, it's a different story, I guess, because we don't hear, we hear a lot of people talk about, you know, I, I had that one call or that incident. And we're starting to hear a lot more people talk about, you know, my cup became full after so many incidents. Um but your story, what sets your story apart from a lot of the ones that I've heard so much is that it was actually when you slowed down, I guess, right? That your cup started yeah. overflowing. Yeah. So, and, uh, you, you know, you brought up earlier, I think before we started the show, um, I had mentioned something called polybagel theory to yep. you. And what I experienced is a large part of what the polybagel theory is based on and so if if you're right with it i'll just kind of give a quick listen you've taught me more about it i googled it but then i watched your videos and learned a whole new thing that i honestly and then we talked about too me in about five years retiring and these are things that run through my head all the time so it's good to put this knowledge out there i i think it's important to 
get this out there. And again, it's just a theory. And uh, there's a lot of anecdotal, I guess, scientific evidence to support it. But just drawing on personal experience, there's something to it. So the polyvagal theory is about the central nervous system. And the premise of the theory is that your sympathetic nervous system can kind of get stuck on, you know, we know we have the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous systems, and they're supposed to both be operating to regulate your body, but your sympathetic nervous system can get stuck on. And it's really common with first responders. So that fight flight or freeze and way that gets stuck on is because you're always ready to go. You don't let yourself relax. And so you may not be getting the intrusive thoughts like I didn't until I slowed down, but with your sympathetic nervous system being stuck on, there's a lot of other things that can happen to your body, like not sleeping, inexplicable migraines, um, your digestive tract being off, like IBS is a symptom of this polyvagal theory, um, the sleep. Oh, weird pains. Like if you just have random back pain, you know, I worked too hard, but if you can't think of a, an event where that caused injury to your back, maybe it's something else. So the reason this happens is because your polyvagal or your, yeah, your polyvagal nervous system cannot, or your parasympathetic nervous system, I'm sorry, can't activate and that's your rest and digest. So all your other body functions that aren't trying to keep you alive in danger, don't get to operate normally. So your digestion, your sleep, all that kind of stuff just gets pushed back. And, you know, I look back on my career and yeah, I wasn't suffering from thoughts, but you know, I had sleep problems. I had migraines. I had back pain. And my therapist told me basically, hey, this is your body coping with trauma. And now the thoughts are coming. So as I left the floor and went into the staff role, my mind relaxed. And so my parasympathetic nervous system was able to reactivate. And that's when the intrusive thoughts came because I was no longer in this survival mode that kept them buried. And so it hit me hard. Um, you know, I did have one call in particular that kind of was the catalyst for all of this. And uh, it was something that happened when I was deployed involving a child. So, you know, all of us either had those or dread those having, have, having happened to them. But yeah, when that happened to me, it was early in the deployment. By the time I left that deployment in Iraq, it was like it, it might as well have not happened. Like it was buried so deep. It was like, I never even experienced it. I had no memory of it. And I never thought about it again until I got in the staff role. And it's like, I just started feeling down and other things I was seeing involving children. I was becoming really sensitive to. Um, I remember everybody wants to be an activist on social media these days, right? That's true. So some guy had posted a video, a good friend of mine of a kid drowning in a pool surrounded by people. And it was just, he was trying to make a point about the apathy or something like that. But 
like that destroyed me. Like I didn't sleep for weeks after seeing that video. I'm like, what's going on with me? And then little bits of that call started to come back. And that's when I got into therapy and was able to address some of that stuff. But yeah, um, the only thing that makes sense to me for what happened was this polyvagal theory. And so for those who feel like they're in the same boat I was where, you know, they've gone through most of their career, they've handled things fine. And then they retire and the stuff starts coming out of the blue. Well, I want people to be familiar with this concept because th that will help them understand what's happening and that will help them to seek the appropriate help to deal with it like oh my god why is this happening to me all of a sudden well it's natural it's how your body works and even more importantly with that too is, is people like me with five years ago people with a couple of years ago to start to think about just because we're retiring doesn't mean that call isn't going to come back to affect you, you know, and sure you buried it when you were in Iraq because you were on to the next one, you know, we're always on to the next one. And I think it's something that it, it's so hard to process them. Um, I kind of feel a, a lot the same way you do. I think where I was always on to the next one in the past five years or so, I've started to pay attention to the ones that affect me more. So I'm not letting it, I don't want to say I'm not letting it not affect me, but I'm, I know it's going to affect me and I'm actively working to make it not affect me. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And, and that's too, what I think we're seeing, or I'm, I'm hoping we're seeing in the emergency services, you know, and again, by you even telling me about this polyvagal theory, I Googled it and I'm like, holy shit, I need to pay attention for this because we know, I know for a fact, you know, when I've had some traumatic things happen at work the easiest way to bury them was in a bottle you know alcohol makes you forget everything until the next morning when you wake up and forget everything but don't feel like you did um type of a thing so should we carry on to my next part of the story sure i mean did i just <laughs> no, transition into it like... a little bit i mean I, again it, it was something i had happened in the past and i don't want to repeat but it, it sounds as though i just transitioned you to keep going so go ahead yeah so I retired in 2020, uh, at the height of COVID. Um, my wife was, you know, she traveled with me for 20 years. So when it came time to retirement, I said, where do you want to go? And she picked Huntsville, Alabama. Neither of us are from the South. Uh, neither of us had ever been to Alabama, but her brother had just relocated there and had a baby. And, you know, we have five kids of our own, but apparently that wasn't enough because she wanted to go be part of this baby's life so that could be safer for you though and in one way it could be a little safer just just saying yeah. i stopped that too buddy so god bless you well there, there's no more after five i can uh, assure <laughs> that um so we went to huntsville huntsville and uh i didn't know anybody i didn't know anything about the opportunities there uh it was covid so nobody was hiring and I landed in this really cool job where they were building a Toyota factory and I was the closest thing they could find to somebody qualified to oversee the contractors installing the fire suppression system. Yeah. I'm not qualified to do that, but I was gonna they say, saw okay. fire on my resume and space force, dude, job. the space force thing did it. You're the tech guy yeah. for the space force. And I loved that job. <laughs> I love the people I was working with, but there was no money in it. And um, when you separate from the military after 20 years, after you retire, 
you go through all these transition courses where I want to say they brainwash you. They tell you, you know, you've done 20 years in the military. You have all this experience, all this discipline. Do not accept anything below a senior or executive level position. And so I was in this job I love, but I had it in my mind that I'm like, man, I'm supposed to be doing something better, something more important. So a few months later, the opportunity did arise to move into one of those jobs. Um, salary, very high paying. Um, but man, it was stressful. I was working, I was running security for eight hospitals and I had 190 officers reporting to me. And, you know, again, this is during COVID. So you can imagine the chaos at the hospitals. And, you know, I'm not sure I was qualified for that job, but I really butted heads with my boss. I was working 24 seven and I was just stressed out all the time. And on top of that, I had stopped treatment because I was separated, wasn't as easily available to me. I didn't make the effort to find it. And all these intrusive thoughts came back even louder th than before. And between the stresses of my job and all these traumatic thoughts I was reliving in my mind, the only thing I could figure out was to quiet my mind was to drink. And man, I drank a lot. I drank all the time on the job. I was drinking, uh, drinking and driving. And I was hiding it from everybody. I had started this clothing brand. The money was kept separate. And I spent every dime I ever made on DFC from DFC on booze. Uh, obviously it caught up with me. Um, I got drunk, wrecked my car. Uh, nobody else was hurt, fortunately, but man, what an embarrassment to come from our career field and to go out and wreck your car and get arrested. And so that was a wake up call. My wife found out about my drinking from a call from jail. And so, uh, at that time I stopped the brand. So people that have been following me since 2020 know the brand completely disappeared for a, uh, quite a while. And that's why I was, that's when I was in recovery. So I went to rehab and did all that stuff that you need to do. Cause I, I was really bad off. I, I was drinking a lot. And so I had to go through rehab and kind of put wow. my family back together. How long was that time span? Do you think that, like you said, you were drinking a lot, like six, yeah. six eight months? Um, well, I can tell you it was, it was about over a year. I spent about four grand on booze in one year and hit it, hit, hit every dime of that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I crashed quick, you know, and I look back, if you found somebody that served with me in the military and you told them, Hey, Sylvia got out and you went and got a DUI you could show them a picture of my mugshot and they still wouldn't believe you like that. You know, that's how much I turned my life down uh, upon retirement. And again, it was just a mixture of this job that I thought I was supposed to have and uh, the PTSD stuff. So if you know me and you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know, I'm always looking for new ways to make myself hashtag better than yesterday. Well, I came across a new way with an awesome company out of Canada called New Breath. I've been using their tub for cold exposure therapy for over a month now, and my body just seems to feel better and better each day. It's no secret that I love to work out, 
and I'm always sore. But taking a cold plunge each day has really changed that, for lack of a better term. Now, I'm still sore. I'm just not as sore. I spend about 10 minutes in the tub, three to five days a week, in as cold as I can get the water using some large ice blocks. And it's been great. My body feels better, my sleep numbers have increased, and the general resiliency, I guess you can say, has been great for me. Because getting in that water truly takes your breath away each and every time. You have to focus, you have to calm yourself, and you have to control your breathing to get into that zen-type state. So you can learn more about them by heading to their website, newbreath.ca, and save yourself some cash if you're looking to make a purchase of one of their tubs by using code the size up at checkout. And so I went through rehab, got back into therapy, started getting treatment for the stuff. Um, stopped drinking, obviously. Uh, that was a condition to put my family back together, which I was more than willing to make. You know, and I needed it for myself anyways. Um so it was about that time I decided, you know what, I'm going to try this brand again. I was enjoying it while I was doing it. Um, my mind seemed to be straight when I was focusing on the art and focusing on the business. And so I started the brand back and, you know, a couple of people had reached out to me like, hey, where'd you go? Why'd you disappear? And I told them like, well, this is what happened. And I, it was kind of odd at first because <clears throat> a couple of those people stopped talking to me, uh, you know, and I was like, well, this is, there's, there's no support here. And I, I felt judged mm-hmm. because I had gotten a DUI. And I was being judged by the people who have firsthand seen the damage a DUI can cause. And so I stopped the brand again. And I was like, all right, there's, there's no place for me here. But a couple more months went by. I was doing even better. I was like, I got to try this again. Just face the music. This is, this is what I want to do with my life. <clears throat> And so I relaunched the brand in May of this year and the response has been phenomenal. You know, it's been what, five months and I'm doing better than the brand had ever done previously. Uh, The art is still therapeutic to me. Um, If you follow me on socials, you'll see me say often that I make what I like. I don't make what I think will sell. Uh, It's just fortunate that a lot of people like the same thing I like because <laughs> very fortunate okay. because it's not a, not a winning business model all the time. No, it's not. It's not, but, but it's not what it's about. Right. And I think that's yeah. a huge thing. What you just said there, it's not what it's about. It's really not. And especially for you and, and hearing your story, you know, and anyone that just picked up the podcast at the 35 minute mark has to go back now and listen to the beginning because that story is, this is so much more than, than what, even what I thought it was when I bought the, to any flag t-shirt which must have been like one of your first ones back right because i feel yeah, like yeah it was was it yeah i feel like that's when i found you and it was like oh cool i like that shirt yeah so it it's been great and i i should rewind and say that the time when i got arrested i quit that job because i knew that was part of the problem and you know i came to the realization i don't need a money i don't need i didn't need the money fortunately um so i went back and got basically a cake job that has no stress and i don't know if that's forever but i'm still paying my bills and i don't need the money from dfc to pay my bills that is you know uh 
something I hope to do in the future. I hope it grows to the point where I can just stop working and run this company, but I wouldn't say I'm anywhere near that. Uh, it's a hard goal, man. It's a hard goal. Bro. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. It's, it's not, but, it's, it's not the easiest thing. People think, Oh, I like t-shirts. I can make t-shirts and it's just yeah. not easy. No, it, you're absolutely right. But again, like, like I've come to realize I don't need to make a lot of money to be happy, to feel fulfilled. So to be honest with you, the brand doesn't need to do that much better to bring me to the point where I can stop working. Cause like I said, I'm taking, I have a cake job now. I said at a truck gate, like okay. doing access control. And so I run the business from work. I do the art at work and it, it's amazing. And so you can imagine, I don't get paid a lot to do that, but I don't need it because uh, I have my pension and I had a few lucky breaks over the years financially. So I'm in the position where I can afford to keep that job I don't rely on the business money, but I want to get there, man. I want to get there to make just enough to just stay home because that would be cool, man. I got five kids, so. Seeing them a lot more would be good. But even that, I think you know that you want to keep active, right? You seem like the person that needs to be always doing stuff. And not that you couldn't always be doing it with DFC, but you're just not there yet. And it's important to know that too, right? That the one day you're going to be there, but for now, for you and your, your mental health and your family's health, for you to go do that job is, is probably a big part of what's keeping you going. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's in the back of my mind is my art, I think right now really appeals to Gen Xers and older millennials. <laughs> and so as those people begin to retire out of the career field, what's going to happen to my company i i don't want to say okay i'm gonna work and then all of a sudden there's all these younger millennials and gen zers coming in and they're like black flag what is that i'm not gonna wear that you know screw them man we still have to wear t-shirts those old guys want to look cool i mean i take my kids to shows like i I like to wear a cool shirt (laughs) it's actually really funny a totally random story but uh there's a, a a musical artist in my town. She's in Nashville. I live in a really small town in New Jersey. And this was just our fall festival weekend. Um, and her parents helped put it on. Um, so she comes back and plays. Uh, so she was playing yesterday at the beer garden. So my wife and I went to see her play. And her mom was there. And her mom's wearing an autographed Wu-Tang shirt. No and way. I'm like, and well, the cool part is, is Riza lives in the next town over from me, which is really random here in the suburbs, farmlands of New Jersey. And his son is always in town and it was his son who autographed a shirt for her. But it's like one of those things, like we all need shirts. I got my Dropkick Murphys hoodie on just for you today. Cause I'm like, I'm just going to wear his stuff. That would be, it's not cool to wear the band the shirt of the band you're you're going to see. So I couldn't wear the shirt I have from DFC. I'm like, let me throw on a dropkick shirt for him today. But I think that's definitely like a big part of all this too, is trying to stay relevant, like you just said. And it's hard in a business like yours. Yeah. You know, I, I have to do the art. Like it, it really helps me. Um, you know, I've gone through a lot of what I needed to process from the things I experienced during my career, but I just can't leave my brain too idle. So I'm going to create forever. I I enjoy the art. It was an unexpected passion I found. Like I said, I didn't start this till 2020 and it was on a whim, but I love it, man. And so I will always do it, whether that's slinging t-shirts or, you know, doing something for my local community, you know, go set up at the 
markets here and sell space shirts because I live in Rocket City. Uh, whatever that looks like, I'm going to be creating, man. So oh, and even I'm not selling anything. I'm just going to do the art for me, and, and which is kind of how I approach it now anyway. Yeah, which I mean, and, and like you said, like it's you're going to draw what you want to draw and hopefully some other people like it. You know, I know reading comments on your social media posts, like people are throwing you suggestions all the time. Like, can you do this type of thing? Can you do this? And you, I think you responded to somebody recently I saw and it was like, I got to be really careful with what I'm putting out there. Yeah. Because these bands do own their artwork. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I've been lucky, you know, you know, part of me was like, man, I want the page to grow. I want to increase my reach. But the other part of me is like, well, I do that. This uh, social distortion skelly that I just threw a fire helmet on, you know, yep. that, that somebody's going to eventually see that and get that cease and desist yeah you don't you never want that to come we, we, we when i was doing the t-shirt stuff for 555 we were we were ripping stuff not ripping stuff you know we had artists and things but it's really hard to be exactly original i guess when you're trying yeah. to do some things and you always have to be careful of that well you know i do have a lot of original art um but it just so happens that some of those adaptations are what are my most popular selling designs you know so, cause they're recognizable and that makes sense. And I just think it's cool to have like a little bit of a fire, like, like fight fire, don't die. Like great slogan, literally standing order on my company. Don't die. Don't end up on YouTube looking like an idiot. That's our yeah. goal at every shift. Those are our two goals right there. If we can do that, we, we've been successful thus far. So, um, but when you put stuff out like that, you know, and, and then there's adaptations too, cause there's a lot of cool artists out there doing things and, you'll have it, you know, and you'll have that shirt that sticks and everybody wants it. You know, everybody gets yeah. a couple of them for sure. Or that design. My album covers have been doing really well on social media. I'm trying to figure out how I can bring those to people. I mean, I think I'm going to start with stickers, but I don't know if you've seen, I've done the bad brains cover. I've done the clash cover, uh, the sex pistols cover. I did back in 2020. That was like the first punk thing I did. And I did have that as a sticker and I sold a ton of those. So people really like that stuff. So, you know, it'd be cool to do some prints or something like that. Um, Wait, did you say prints or prints? Prints, like, oh. like something <laughs> on the wall. Nah, <laughs> I know, I know, but you said I love prints. It's like one of my closet, like, you know, Prince is an amazing artist, but my wife yeah. kills me. Any any chance I get, I'm like, we're going to see this Prince show. So cover <laughs> we're going to check them out. <laughs> but no, prints would be awesome too, because again, that's something cool to have in the firehouse that's not typical you yeah. know like you walk in and you see that social d skeleton with a fire helmet on and i'm like all right there's some cool fucks in this firehouse like i want to hang out with these dudes it's not you know a dalmatian <laughs> so what's funny is uh, you, you probably will see that social d stylized print or flag eventually but it might not be from me so you know there's a lot of copycats out there and sure. that was one of the reasons I was starting to get frustrated back in 2020. I was, you know, I started out making skate skate style and you can still see some skate influence on my designs, but I was doing a lot of skate style t-shirts and to my knowledge, I was the only one doing that. But a couple months later, it's, you know, it started popping up. I'm like, man, what the heck? And it was discouraging. And now I'm starting to see some of the punk stuff show up on other brands but what can I say? I mean, I drew a skelly. That's not my design. So if somebody else goes out and draws a skelly with a fire helmet, what can I say? 
even though it's crystal clear they got the idea from my page you know <laughs> it, it's definitely one of those things with with social media where it, it's yeah. just it, you could waste your time going after all those dudes or you could just draw something else and put it out there and, yeah uh, and i just say i just say is like i know there's skelly flags out there there's skelly firefighter flags out there that you can buy right now that are not from me <laughs> Maybe they'll get the cease and desist and then you could slide in and, and yeah. deal with that. It's crazy too. With And again, we haven't been active. I haven't been active with 555 too much recently at all, but apparel wise, we haven't been active in years and we're starting to get spammed on our social media accounts with people selling our designs. That's crazy. On t-shirts. Like I'll print like overseas, it's all overseas companies. Um, where it's like, you have to ban them from your page because they're literally one morning I woke up and I'm like 37 messages who's messaging or 37 comments. I'm like, we haven't put out anything in, in weeks on Facebook. And it was every one of our t-shirts designs. And they're like, we'll do it on whatever you want. Mugs, flags, you name it. And they're selling it on our page. No, that's less. crazy. So, I mean, that, that's just, I guess, the way the world is these days, right? Yeah, it is. And, I, and I've come to terms with it. But it was just funny that you mentioned, you know, I'd love to see that on my wall. And it's just in the back of my mind. I'm thinking, like, well, you can see that right now. I can I'm tell not, you where to go to buy it. I'm not buying it from whoever that person is. We, we, don't, we don't throw down names like that here. But I'm not buying it. I'm waiting until you put it out there to buy it. But I think, again, it's your art, right? And it's your passion. Yeah. And there's so many great artists that that put out cool things in the fire service from people like Paul Combs who have been drawing cartoons for years to, you know, Lenny from notorious who kind of, he sponsors the podcast and is, is a good friend. You know, you guys are so talented. I feel like I have zero talent. My talent is running my mouth is the easiest thing I got. And, and the gift of gab, I can't draw anything. And maybe I can come up with a cool idea and tell you, and you can make it, bring it to life or something like that. But to be able to do that to me is just like such a cool talent. I appreciate it, man. It was, like I said, it's been unexpected and, you know, all these people buying the shirts, it, it, there's a little bit of imposter syndrome with that. You know what I mean? It's like, yes, I, I, I just started doing this and all these people are wearing my designs and, you know, it, it's humbling, I guess is the best way. For sure. To say. Like when you see, so I'm sure you've had this, like you see someone wearing one of your shirts in public and you're like, that's my shirt. That's my design. Like, cause I, I did design some of the five, five, five shirts. I never was an artist or any way, but I'm like, in my head, if you put those three fives this way on top of this, and then my buddy drew it up. But when you see someone wearing your shirt, that, that's not imposter syndrome, man. That's just a great feeling inside. Yeah. I, I, I haven't seen anybody wearing my shirt locally. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for the day to come, but Man, I want to start hitting conferences. And so, yeah, if you went to FDIC, you'd see someone wearing a district. Guarantee you'll find someone there with it. Yeah, and if not, be it'll be me. So, I'll wear mine there for sure. Um, but be and that too is once you get to get out to some of those shows and things, you know, and you start to meet the folks, and they're like, "Oh my God, you really do exist," you know, because it's even like I said, I'm like, "Bro, you got a beard. You're a fireman. Like, are you just in this because you like music and you put these two things together?" Well, you know, they say, you know, TikTok is the future. And if you want to make TikTok content, you've got to be in it. So, you know, I've been kind of, you know, I'm definitely not comfortable doing that. And I've like tested the waters a little bit recently on Instagram. And uh, we'll see, man, you might be seeing more of me because I, you know, that they say that's how you reach people. They want to see you. But yeah, they want to see you design the art first. 
Yeah, they want to see you drawing. Like I feel like so my my guest on the podcast that comes out tomorrow, uh, laugh with Brett. He does funny dog videos of his two German shepherds, and he is beyond successful on TikTok. And you know, people apparently love animal videos on TikTok, but I think they also love watching. Like I love watching people draw things. Like to see that fast motion video of you doing the art for something, I think is just so cool because I can't do that. Well, that's it's a good idea. Uh, I'm definitely trying to figure out how I can have different content. Well, I want the royalties if those videos start monetizing well. Because <laughs> I don't have like my wife's like, when when are you going to get on TikTok? And I'm like, to do what? Talk. I was like, no one watches people. No one watches podcasts. They listen to them, you know. And we even it's even that that feedback. Like I love seeing on your page, people giving you feedback about the shirts and you interacting with them about bands and things um, where even it's hard with the podcast because people listen to a podcast, usually in their car while they're driving somewhere. They don't remember two hours later to be like, Oh, let me comment to that podcast guy about what he said. Like they're already about their day, you know? I, I get it. I mean, I, I don't get a whole lot of interaction on my pages. Um, get maybe one or two comments per post but you know I, I'm not driven by that like I said for me it's it it's just making the art and if people like it great it feels good when people like the art but I've definitely put out some losers like that didn't sell any and I was okay with it man because I enjoy I made the design for me and I enjoyed it and I liked it yeah I mean again that's a huge part of it and everything isn't going to be a home run you know, like every post, every podcast, every shirt. And I mean, you just went, literally went down again and had to bring the company little miners. Yeah. So when I started, let me talk about that real quick, just for anybody that does listen and wants to support the company. Uh, that may not be the last time I go down. So when I started the company in 2020, I was doing what's called print on demand. Are you familiar with that? Yep. Where basically yeah. you're, you're getting the shirts printed. Buy yeah. Something. So basically I set up a website with my design. Somebody comes to the website, buys something. It goes to a completely different company to print and ship it. And they get most of the money. Like if you're doing print on demand, when you make a sale, you're getting a couple bucks maybe per sale, but it makes sense because somebody else is doing all the other work. But during that time, everybody was starting t-shirts because this was COVID, right? Everybody was starting t-shirt companies because everybody was at home and the quality just got out of hand with these print-on-demand companies. And people were getting shirts with my logo on the back and somebody else's logo on the front, or the prints were just garbage. So I said, when I come back, if I come back, I'm doing it myself. And so I bought this 15-year-old direct-to-garment printer that didn't work when I bought it and completely restored it. And uh, it's been so kind to me for four months. but like I said, it went to, or like you mentioned, it went down last month and that was a chore getting it back up and running. And now I know like this could happen at any time. So it's probably not going to be the last time. Eventually I'm going to get nicer, newer equipment, but not unless I can pay cash for it. Was that more of a tech issue or like a mechanical issue? If you know, if you want to say or not, it's up to you, but. Yes. So what it is, um, it prints right on the garment, right? Well, I was printing some of those monster shirts. Uh, it's been a very popular design. I did like a Halloween design with uh, retro monsters on it. Well, I was printing it and the shirt came out pink. 
and it's you know supposed to be yellow um, so i lost my yellow channel on my print head those print heads are two thousand five hundred dollars just for the print head so i had to restore it which was kind of a pain but um and, and didn't work at first i tried everything and obviously the last thing i tried was the thing that worked and so um i've lost some channels since then but now that i know what i know what to do i can bring them right back but there's gonna be a time where i just can't get it back and then i'm gonna have to go out and buy a new print head shit man there's your tiktok video right there this is how you restore the print head on one of these crazy printers and and, and destroy your warranty but i'm probably the only one that's using a 15 year old machine i don't have a warranty so <laughs> so it doesn't even matter at this point yeah you know, again, it's one of those things that it's another hurdle, but you're able to use. I always find it funny because you hear guys when they get close to retirement and they're like, well, what am I going to do retirement? And I'm like, dude, once you do this job, you can pretty much do anything. I feel mm -hmm. like, you know, once you put your mind to it, because what we do and what we have to process in such a short amount of time you can figure anything out if even more if you have more time i feel like um that you can just do it kind of like how you're figuring out how to fix those machines yeah it's stressful sometimes because <laughs> you know you you, you want to be reliable the worst thing you can do for a company is keep shutting it down but this is just where i'm at right now i've accepted it and uh you know i, I think our next, community next time i'm down you'll know what happened <laughs> Our community probably too from what i could tell was right behind you because i saw so yeah. many people like what do you need and uh, i'm yeah. even shocked someone didn't just ghost you with like a, a gofundme to be like here's some money we can help you out yeah so that came up actually somebody somebody asked to do that i was like no no because because truth be told is i have the money to go out and buy a new printer i just don't want to i don't you know what i mean yeah. so no i get it but again it's, it's that community end of it which too is empowering for you to be like nah, i'm gonna keep this going like we can we can find something here. And and it's even crazier when I think like when, when we were doing the apparel, it was such a different world. Like there weren't as many apparel companies as there are today. Social media was a very different place. It was very easy to sell things online. Um, just the changes that I've seen in doing it is, is so many more hurdles than what was in the past. But look, I don't want to leave because uh, we're getting close to the hour and I've kept you talking and, and you've done an amazing job. So let's we're, we lose the introvert title after this episode of the, the size up. But we got to talk bands a little bit like we didn't even yeah. talk anything about bands. So so how did that all come about for you? Like the music end of it, the, the punk rock stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was born in 80. So I kind of caught that whole um skate punk era because that's when i was a teenager when you had your no fx's and pennywise uh i started out most people uh getting into the grunge stuff because that was my age group you know nirvana came out when i was 12 years old and i'm like whoa what is this and you know as the grunge and alternative started getting more radio play that's when green day came on you know what i mean so you know i'm not 30 years ago admit it, green day was my gateway into punk rock music you know who really wasn't when you're like, um, I was born in 78, so I'm right behind you. But it's 30 yeah. years ago for Dookie, uh, yeah. just last week or something like that, very recently. Dude, we saw Green Day uh, two years ago, we saw Green Day. I think we were supposed to see them, and it was 2020, so then it got postponed to 2021 or whatever it was. So we took the boys, and they were every bit as good as when I saw them in 90, whatever year that was, 90-something. Yeah. Well, I'd gone into the record shop to buy... Uh 
Dookie CD and on at the register there was this thing called Punkorama and the guy's like if you're buying this you should get this it's only like five bucks and it was a compilation CD put out by Epitaph and so you know so many great bands were on Epitaph in the uh, 90s probably still are I listen to only old stuff now (laughs) nothing new but um so so that that was what did it for me I got this Punkorama CD it had Dropkick it had Pennywise had no effects and uh i really got into the skate punk and started playing so i was in um punk bands throughout high school and my one year of college i played in the band um but as i've gotten older i've kind of gotten into the older punk so now i listen to like the social d the bad brains uh you know i listen to a lot of you know descendants circle jerks that that's that's my taste now so i listen to all the old stuff I mean, and it's all just as good as it was then, you know, yeah. like when you hear when you hear Dave Grohl talking about bad brains and you're like, God, man, Dave Grohl was listening to bad brains back in the day. And here I am still listening to him now. Yeah, there's just something about that l- low fidelity sound yep. on their records. It's just raw. And the other thing that really appealed to me with the punk move it, movement was the do it yourself mentality. You know, these bands were doing their own promotions do they they did everything themselves and they didn't have roadies or record labels backing them you know they were out there hanging their posters up on all the telephone poles the night before their show man i just loved something about that you know it's honestly something i've kept in my brand you know when my shirts went down or my printer went down people were like just go print on demand just go back to that i was like man i really like being the person making the art, printing the shirt, shipping the shirt. You know, I really don't want to give that up. Is that sustainable for the future as the company grows? Probably not, but I'm going to do that as long as I can. Yeah, but you got five kids, man. So yeah. you're good to go. Yeah, labor labor force right there, man. Look at Rob from Ridgeway Leatherworks, man. His twins, his twins know more about leatherworking than I'll ever know in my life probably. And they're 13, I think the girls are now. Um, but you know, it's that, I love that do it yourself attitude of those punk rock bands. Cause I used to go to those shows, you know, I saw yeah. a kick and small clubs in New York and Philly and, and even here in Jersey when they're well, carrying their own stuff in and you're helping them carry it out as I recall. Yeah. So that, that was also part of what drew me in because those bands were accessible. You know what I mean? I'm a yeah. new Englander. So, you know, you had your God smacks and you know, like, you know, there was a ton of bands from new England at the time but their shows were like 50 bucks and hours away, but I could just drive up to Providence and see dropkick. And I did that all the time for 15 bucks or 10 bucks, whatever it was. You know what I mean? All ages show and dropkick and like four other bands that you never, like I saw dropkick souls. Yeah. Yeah. I saw dropkick open up for, I think it was the Boston's in Manhattan, but there was another band in between them. Like they were the opening, opening act type of band. Um, and I always thought that was so cool. And I, I'm stoked that my boys are in the music because, you know, we're, we're doing some some shows now, but not as much as I'd like to, but they're too busy, I guess. So it's cool to be able to get back into those days. I also yeah. don't know if it's going to be the same, though. <laughs> At least for me, I'm going to stand in the back with earplugs in because I'm old. Be the 40-year-old of the bands. That's it, man. Yeah, I got some vans, dude. It's, I got some vans, and I'll be forty-five in two weeks, and I can I can rock my vans. I have a young-looking face, so it doesn't really matter. I still get carded. Well, you know, it's 
something's going on. We just opened a van store in, in Huntsville a couple months ago. And all you would see on the, you know, the local Facebook groups were memes about 40 year olds going into the new van store. Cause that's who it's for these days. <laughs> you know, I mean, I could even say this, we just bought, we're, go, we're going to Iceland in a few weeks and vans makes like a, uh, like a waterproof high top that has like a fur lining inside of it. And I'm like, we already got hiking boots. I'm like, let's buy these vans. Let's check them out. And we went to the store and tried them on. I'm like, these things are mad comfortable and they keep your feet warm. And we look badass. We're going to Iceland with vans on. So the four of us all have these high top vans. Right. We're just such tourists. It's not even funny. <laughs> but yeah, man, the punk rock movement, I feel like it's still strong. And I feel like, you know, you can still have fun with it. Like the Warp Tour doesn't happen, or maybe it did happen, but, you know, I used to go to it every year in Jersey. And just yeah. to be able to take my kids, you know, we saw um, my boys really like my older son really likes the interrupters kind of on the ska side, but we've mm -hmm. seen them a few times. And like this last time we were right up front, you know, they came out, they gave them drumsticks, Amy interrupters, giving them pins. And it was just that cool feeling of like, I'm so happy you're a part of this community that I got to be a part of. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I told you before the show, I have five and right now only one is showing any interest. So you know, I, I, every time in the car, they have to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> I was really big too back and now you're like throwing me back, but kind of, you know, Green Day was kind of that gateway drug, but more of the smaller scene was, was real big fish. A girl, oh, like, yeah. let's go see yep. real big fish. And I'm like, who? And she's like, it's a ska band. It's like $7 at this place. If you're from New Jersey called the Birch Hill. I'm like, cool. And it was a uh, real big fish and uh Goldfinger. It was like yeah. Goldfinger was doing like here in your bedroom, like they were on tour for that album. And it was the same thing. They're selling their t-shirts. Real Big Fish was sell out. And I'm like, this is my life. Who covered that? Uh, it's terrible. I can't remember that German song about the Red Balloon. Oh, 99 Kevin? Red Balloons was yeah. Goldfinger. Yeah, was it? Yeah. I think it's Goldfinger. Yeah. That was that was my first ska song because I got radio play. Yep. Oh, yeah, I got out there for a lot. So yeah. and then the No Doubt came and just so many good bands like the, yeah. listen you have loads of art you could probably do art for bands that don't even exist anymore that people would be like no one's ever going to come after you for that because they're like no that's not even a band anymore yeah, that's true good thought you hit, jake, hit the catalog jake brother man you you made it the hour we're 101 right now i just want you to know and, and you've spent most of the time talking so yeah oh that's impressive <laughs> it's anyway, not typical ah dude it was great man and then you know so many people are going to hear this and hear your story and just have that one more piece in their toolbox for like if shit something's going south for me they're going to be able to think about your story and, and you know get some help for themselves i can guarantee yeah, I that for so. sure so it, it's been awesome dude i'm so i'm so stoked that i reached out and i'm so stoked i got your t-shirt and so stoked that we kind of became friends now through this and and we're able to do this tonight yeah me too man appreciate you inviting me to do this i i definitely wanted to talk about the polyvagal thing and i didn't feel comfortable doing it but yeah i enjoyed this did a great job man trust me like you're we're gonna get some good comments on this for sure some good feedback for for the stuff so are you ready for the size of 10 though that's gonna be my question for yeah. you yeah it's 10 quick questions they never go quick but you know everything I, you said about my ability to talk is about to we'll is, I'm, I'm about to just throw i'm gonna be that guy that just throws it off it may never go anywhere it'll make the episode but all right here we go come on we could do this quick beach or mountains beach 
Night Out or Night In? In. A good book or a good movie? Good book. All right, now I throw you for this one. Cross-country road trip. Who's your celebrity co-pilot? Mike Ness. Oh, oh yeah, well, that makes effing sense. Jesus. You didn't even have to think about that, really. You just went yeah. right now. Mike Ness, Roger Merritt. I would say Jay Adams, but he's gone. I'll go with Mike Ness. That would be a kick-ass car ride. What car are you driving? That's a better one. One of his. He's got so <laughs> many classics. Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. All right, here we go. Uh, where are we at? Good Lord. You make your bed every day? Yes. Military, of course you do. Like, you, you don't have an option, man. Uh, a million dollars now that I don't have and you're not going to get, so sorry, but or go back to 18 with a redo. That's a tough one, man. I, I'm going back. Going back? Yeah. Making some better decisions? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the intent. Yeah, you know, I never really thought of it that way. Like, that's why you go back, but you may not make them right anyway. So, all right, uh, highways or back roads? Back roads, man. A bucket list place to visit. You've already been to the Azores, so you can't say that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I want to go back to Germany, but if it's a new new place, uh, Iceland would definitely be high up on that list. Nice, man. I'll let you know how it is. I'll be there. Be there in two weeks. So follow along for Iceland pictures of the pips over there. Uh, ooh, this for you, being Mr. International. Let's see. Football or football? Man, I'm a sports agnostic, but I played high school football, so we'll just say American football. <laughs> All right, I, I can get that one. All right, last question, and I feel like you've already given so much out, but uh, the best advice you could give to your younger self? Mm. Yeah, this 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 is the one. I don't know, man. Just yeah, I got nothing. I've always been self reliant, and I would just keep tell myself to depend on yourself, man. Like I'm not saying you can't rely on other people but if you want to do it you got to do it yourself i like it man that that is some good advice because at the end of the day we do make our own decisions right and we all have to kind of keep ourselves in check and i feel like that's a big part of what we're seeing in society now and especially with social media that some people forget that you need to keep yourself in check before you just decide to type something or say something or put that video out there that may affect someone that you have no idea how it affects them yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. So awesome, brother. Well, listen, man, this has been a great hour and now five minutes of chatting with you. Um, I'd love to have you come on again someday. You know, um, I can't wait to watch district fire grow and get some more t-shirts from you or maybe convince you to do a cool design for me. That I could, yeah, I could, let's I could, talk, man. It'd be cool to have another the size up logo. I like, but I don't know, maybe I'll do something with my mohawk and something along those lines. It's kind of all all goes in the in the lines of things. I'm, I'm happy to work together, man. I would enjoy that. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, listen, man, Jake, I'd like to thank you again for coming on. As always, I'd like to thank all the sponsors and all the listeners. Love to thank the guys over at National Fire Radio. And I did not say Sebi's name in this podcast. So I want to thank Sebi for doing all the editing work for me like I do every week. Uh, he actually texted me about clips being done for another episode. So Seb, I did get the text when you listen to this one. Thank you so much. And until next time, this has been Pip for the Size Up by National Fire Radio. 